Hi, thank you for returning to my podcast, Touching Success. My name is Joy, and I also have two companion parrots with me. Sometimes you will hear them talking and giving their opinion on things. Their name is Jojo and Sterling. I want to apologize for the length of time it's taking me to get another podcast up. I really do want to do it more frequently. Unfortunately, sometimes things get in the way and I'm not going to be able to, but I hope you will still continue to check back and look for more information having to do with special ed and the process of it. So today I wanted to talk about the process of qualifying for special education. You would think it'd be pretty simple with some kids where they come in with already having a diagnosis of, say, autism, and yet the school wants to do even more testing as if to prove that the original doctor who diagnosed them was incorrect. It's actually just part of the process that is required by law to be done. And so the best you can do is hand over a copy of the reports from your other doctor to the school and then that will help pick up the speed because there really is no point in doing the same test over again if it's been within the last year. So what is this process? The first thing you do if you're a parent is you go to the school and in writing, you request for a special education evaluation. You think your child has special needs and you would like to see if they would qualify for some kind of services or assistance within the classroom and or equipment to help them do better within the classroom. So that's the very, very first step. The school has several days to turn around and respond to that. They do not have to do anything if they can justify why they feel that the child does not need special services or they need to start the process of testing the child for special needs. This is also the beginning, if your child does go into special ed, of the paperwork trail. The best thing I think you can do and the parents that I've seen that are the most successful at getting what they would like for their kids or at least having better communication with their IEP teams have a binder and every single piece of paper that comes from the school or the district or any other doctor related to the special needs of the child, they store in a nice organized fashion within a binder. Anyway, so back to the testing. In most of the schools that I have worked in, the parents, the general education teacher, and anybody else who works closely with the student will get some paperwork for answering questions for the school psychologist. Now, most people hear the word school psychologist and they think, oh, psychologist, all mind. But a school psychologist is different. A school psychologist does the testing and the assessing of students to see what the disabilities are, maybe cognitively, uh, functionally, many of those areas. And they do write in a report based upon the compilation of their testing and the results from everybody else's that they've passed out. Do the testing, fill out the forms, do the best you can. If you don't understand the question, call the school psychologist or any school psychologist and ask them what is meant by that question. It's better than guessing if you can manage to do it. 
Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, with email, things and communication can be so much easier. Ask the psychologist, the school psychologist, for their email address, get the gen ed teacher's email, anybody involved, get their email address. And then as you come into things or you think of something new, you can go through email and report that. And that would also give you a hard copy document, well, digital document, but often we print those out. Everybody involved in the testing will be producing a report of some kind that you as a parent will get a copy of and anybody else, like say the gen ed teacher, the school principal, any of the people just involved should be able to get a copy of that report as well. The reports and the results of the reports are very important. They help to influence our decisions that get made on an IEP. And that goes everything from what kind of assistance they may need, materials, amount of time that they get support, who's doing the supporting as far as um, anything special they need to learn. So these are all very important things for us to know. And when we come together, we work on discussing all those things and how they are influenced. Now, in a special ed teacher's ideal world, we will also have an IEP put together already. It's going to be based on the results of those reports and about other discussions. However, it's very important to realize that those IEPs are rough drafts. They have room and should have room to be adjusted on the fly. Again, back to the notes section, get those notes in there and then things can be addressed again later. Usually we'll set up a future time, a few days later, give the school some time to redo the IEP into a more acceptable format. Sometimes we can adjust it there on the spot, especially nowadays with computers. We can literally make the changes right there. Sometimes it's just a checkbox and then reprint it in the classroom or maybe at the school office where they have a printer for everybody. So those are just some things to keep in mind when you go to these meetings. You will probably as a parent and maybe a new general ed teacher, or just a new teacher, you're going to go in there and you're really overwhelmed by all these people sitting there talking at you, using terminology that's uh, new to you or you're not super familiar with. And you need to try to work with them on understanding what they're saying. Try not to sit there and, because many parents I've talked to just say, I'm so overwhelmed and these people are supposed to know what they're doing and I don't know what to do. How do I handle it? For one on handling it, I think part of the problem tends to be that teachers who have been teaching for a really long time tend to use acronyms and terminology and the rest of special ed team for the most part knows what they're saying, knows what they're talking about, knows what they're referring to. And I think sometimes we just kind of forget that not everybody sitting at that table understands what we're talking about, like LRE and FAPE and IDEA and the 30 day and the 15 day and the 90 day and the triannual and all those different terminologies, I can go to any special education teacher and throw it their direction and they should know what those mean. If they're brand new, they might need some help. But it's understandable that gen ed teacher and the parents and maybe grandparents if they've come and the child if they're old enough don't understand what we're talking about. So again, like I mentioned before, 
make sure you ask what the teachers mean, what the specialists mean, get the details. It's not fair to you to have a child that you love dearly and want the best for them to sit there and feel overwhelmed and unable to advocate for your child. So you need to speak up and that's, you know, again, we're having that stuff in a binder that you can refer back to, doing your research ahead of time, plenty of website websites about the, the laws of special ed and how it works. Make sure you get 2004 and just the different, there's so many variables. There are just so many variables to an IEP and, and it's really just something that everybody has to work together on to be understood. I am so guilty of having done that, just using terminology left and right, and I've had to have people tell me I need to use more, not basic, because people aren't stupid, but but just use terminology that's more common. That's the, when I say IDEA, instead of saying that, I say special ed law, you know, or IEP is, this is a special plan for your student that we're setting up and only your student gets this plan. Every student should have their own plan. Okay, so on a slightly different note, I wanna talk about the advantages and the disadvantages for a student to be on a 504, which we'll go over later, or an IEP. The disadvantage of an IEP is it's time consuming for everybody. You have these meetings all the time. You are worried about your student succeeding. Are the goals written correctly for the student? And then outside of that is sometimes, and I'm only saying sometimes, Sometimes teachers, specialist aides, people in general have slightly lower expectations from a student who is on an IEP. And it's really unfair to everybody for that to happen because sometimes a child is only on an IEP because they need a little extra help, let's say learning Braille or learning sign language, or learning how to adapt to a busy classroom and how to get help when they're overwhelmed inside of that classroom. So these are not things that anybody has to think down on. These are just disabilities that the kids have and that they need some extra support with. So that is the disadvantage. It's just that people sometimes look down on our students. Now, hopefully, you can be a good advocate, whether you're a teacher, whether you're the specialist or the general education teacher, to make sure that your expectations coming from for that student are the same or as similar as can be to the other kids in the classroom. If you're struggling with this as a gen ed teacher, please find the specialist and maybe there's something that can be worked out. And some of it may just be completely subconscious. Anyway, back to the subject at hand. One of the things that you have to be careful of when you are testing students is that one disability does not make the other one come across worse than it already is. This is almost next to impossible in a lot of cases. We have to do what you can to try to avoid it. For example, perhaps you are testing a child who shows a lot of signs of specific learning disability and for people who don't know what SLD is standing for, a lot of times we see that as dyslexia or auditory discrimination disorder. 
Anyway, so if you're testing a kid for learning disability and the child is English language learner or ELL, or perhaps you might see it as ESL, which is English as a second language, those children are not going to test so well on tests designed to flesh out learning disabilities just because the sounds in their native language may not be there. Their vocabulary may keep them from understanding directions. Any number of reasons that the two can interact with each other, and ELL is not a disability, but a child with a specific learning disability is. If you take a child who maybe is blind, they're going to have a hard time with a test designed to flesh out a specific learning disability because they can't see the pictures or letter combinations. And it will have to be adapted into Braille, except if the child is dealing with a specific learning disability, they could be dealing also with symptoms of dyslexia. And one of those symptoms is flipping things around. And yes, kids who read Braille do flip things around. So it's these kinds of things that the team needs to work together on to make sure that they get all the disabilities and all of how they interact with each other so that they can get a proper individual education plan put into place for that student that covers all of their needs. So let's get back a little bit more to qualifying with a disability. Only certain types of disabilities qualify students for services. Some of the disabilities that almost automatically qualify students for being put onto an IEP is autism, especially if it's a severe version of it, mental delay or intellectual disabilities if they're deaf or blind or both, uh, another kind of physical disability that makes accessing their schoolwork and their classroom education difficult for them. A specific learning disability uh, has to be a very strong sign of a learning disability to get onto that particular qualification. Emotional disturbance, speech and language impairment, and traumatic brain injury. Those are the primary things that we look for to qualify children to get onto an IEP. And if your child does have one of those and you already have testing showing that from any doctors, uh, add that into the paperwork that they ask for from you. If you don't, some of them will require you to go out and get paperwork. That would be uh, the blind, you need an eye report. The deaf, you need a hearing report. Mental delay, you might need a report from a neurologist. I'm not entirely sure of that, but if you have one, include it, it'll help. So those are the primary ones that get IEPs without too much of a struggle as far as trying to qualify them. It will only be the problem would only be just that the child has to be tested as just part of the process to getting onto an IEP. And it's good because as a parent or as a gen ed teacher or as anyone else who's access to those reports, you're going to find that the information in those reports is going to be very helpful on how to work with the child going onto an IEP. Okay, so this is the next important part of an IEP. 
It's probably the most important for all the special education teachers out there. You probably know the basics of this, but just as a review and then so other people know why we start panicking at certain points during an IEP process. There's a timeline we have to keep to. It is an overall timeline that is required by the federal government. Then some states shorten that up. Then some uh, districts shorten that up. And then some schools shorten it up because they really need to have everything in on time. There's a penalty for getting caught doing it too much. Uh, the school gets audited and things don't go well for the administration from what I understand when they don't have everything aligned well. So the timeline is, this is what I was taught for the overall, the, the law says 60 days to determine as a need for services for a child. So 60 days, it's a long time probably for the parents and for the child. From a special ed teacher's perspective, it is not long enough because there's so much to do and usually there's a lot of children we're testing at one time and trying to write the reports and trying to collect all the information we need, it, it actually feels very short. But 60 days is the maximum amount of time according to IDEA. Remember that special education law, 60 days. And then once the evaluations are complete, there's 30 days to create an IEP. So a lot of times we'll do the 60 days and do the reports, get together with the family, and also have an IEP ready to go if the child qualifies. So it ends up being an extra long meeting. Make sure that when you're invited into a 60-day report, you leave yourself a lot of time afterwards so that nobody's hurrying through everything to try to make sure it all gets done properly. If the district and people can't agree on the IEP that it's needed, what's needed in it, and the parents don't want to sign it and don't agree, just if there's just one of those IEPs that nobody can agree on, then the district can put all that in writing and people then have 30 days to come back together and try again. I would recommend just from personal experience, give yourself not much more than a week to two weeks because until that IEP is signed, there isn't much that can be done to help the student out while the IEP is not in place. This is especially true for kids who are brand new to an IEP. If the IEP for the annual is not signed, then we can kind of stick to the old one just enough so that we can make sure that they continue getting the materials if they're specialized or getting general support time, still maintaining an aid. But we can only push that so far. It's got to be in an IEP that's current for it all to work well with each other. So I would recommend get that communication going through email and telephone and get together as, you know, as soon as you can and try to work out those differences. I have been to IEPs that have gone up to five meetings before everybody agreed, but it was also all down in writing that that was what was going on. Again, this is to help save everybody, but the district gets audited every so many years years and if they discover all these IEPs and are not being completed on time then they can get in trouble for that but if it's because there's a disagreement going on between the families and between the schools then it's in writing and the people doing the auditing can probably look at that and say okay get that completed as soon as possible but they won't quite get their hands 
slapped for it. I don't think, please do not quote me on this, but just I imagine from my own experiences in going to multiple IEPs for a child that that tends to be what happens. There is still a lot of pressure that is put on the teachers to get those IEP reports done, get the IEP reports written, and get the IEP reports, IEP reports signed. Now later we're going to go into what makes up an IEP, but that's going to be a longer uh, amount of work to discuss. So for now we're just going to call it cuts here. Uh, review it for the different disabilities if you'd like to see if your child falls under one of those. If a child has a whole bunch of like minor not minor. It's never minor. They have some that don't quite qualify under one area and then another area they don't quite qualify under and another area they don't quite qualify under. Sometimes if you work with the IEP team, they can find a way of putting those disabilities together to get the child qualified. We want, special ed teachers want, parents want, gen ed teacher wants, everybody wants what's best for the student. But let's face reality, everybody also has an end goal that they're trying to accomplish through the IEP with the parents, for the student, for the needs as a district, for the needs as a teacher, the specialist, and so on. It's just part of the process. Everybody has an angle that they're coming at it. But that's what can make a really good team, and good ideas can come out of that. So it's not something to think of as in a bad way. Anyway, so that's the end of this particular podcast on working on getting your child or a student qualified for special education on an IEP, Individual Education Plan. I'll go more into what's in all of that at another time. And for now, I hope you have a wonderful time and a beautiful day.